Welcome to Grace Harvest Church's weekly podcast. For more information about Grace Harvest Church or to find out more about something you hear during the podcast, visit us online at graceharvestchurch.org. Now listen in and allow God to speak to you through this week's message. Today we're going to learn about the promise, and we're going to see that God is a promise maker and a promise keeper. Now we have a series of videos from the Bible Project that we've been showing, and this week we're going to look at Genesis chapter 12 through 50, and you'll get to see an overview of where I'm going today. So go ahead and cue up that video and let her go. We're walking through the book of Genesis, which is made up of these two main parts. And the first part begins in the garden, where we watch humanity spiral downward in self-destruction. And it ends in the Tower of Babel, where a rebellious humanity is scattered by God. Then the second part of Genesis zooms in and focuses on just one family. And right in the middle is this story that links the two parts of Genesis together and helps us understand what the whole book is all about. So how do we get from the Tower of Babel to the story here in the middle? Well, after the scattering at Babel, there's this genealogy, and it follows one of the tribes all the way down to this one guy named Abram. You probably know him as Abraham. And God starts making all these promises to Abraham, like he's going to bless him and give him a ton of kids. And he says that through him and his family, all the nations of the earth are now going to find God's blessing. So basically, God is trying to restore humanity back to the goodness of the garden and to his original intentions for the world. So it's like his rescue plan for humanity. And that's why the whole second half of Genesis is about this one family. And so you have, you have Abraham, and then he has a son, Isaac, who has Jacob, and then Jacob has 12 sons. And to each generation, God renews his promise to bless them and all nations through them. So because of this promise to use this family to rescue the world, it's pretty easy to read these stories as examples of how to be a good person. But actually, for the most part, this family is totally dysfunctional. So for example, let's go back to Abraham. This whole story is about God giving him and his wife Sarah a family, but two different times. He basically gives Sarah away to other men by denying that she's even his wife. And then Sarah gets impatient about having a son, and so she makes Abraham sleep with her servant girl, which then causes all of these other problems in the family. So they get really old, and you begin to think that there's no way they're going to have a kid of their own. But then, miraculously, they do. It's Isaac. And Isaac, he has two sons, Esau and Jacob, and it seems like things are going pretty good. But Jacob... The younger brother wants the family's inheritance, which belongs to Esau, the older brother. So he devises a plan where he's going to steal it from his father, Isaac, who at this point in the story is now old and blind. Which who does that horrible stealing from your blind father? Yeah, and then he just takes off. So Jacob goes on from there to have 12 sons, big family. But Jacob loves his 11th son, Joseph, way more than all the others. And so he gives him the special technicolor dream coat and his brothers because of this come to hate him so much so that they plan on killing him but they don't they instead just sell him as a slave down in egypt now while in egypt through this crazy series of events joseph goes from being in a prison cell to becoming the second in command there and so later on the the whole middle east falls into this food shortage and joseph's brothers they come down to egypt looking for food and then when they get there 
who should they find as the ruler of the whole land? It's Joseph, that guy they sold into slavery. But he actually saves them from starving to death. And so here you have it. These are the great-grandchildren of Abraham who have done this heinous act to their brother. But God has transformed their evil into something good. And that's exactly what Joseph says here in the last paragraph of the entire book. He says, you guys planned all of this for evil, but God planned it for good to save people's lives. Now, these words, they conclude the book because they actually summarize the message of the whole story so far. Humans keep choosing evil, and we are thinking they're, they're screwing up God's plan, but he keeps turning their evil back into good. And somehow, he's going to use this family to restore humanity back to the garden. So that's the book of Genesis. But we still don't know how exactly he's going to use this family to bring us back to the garden. Well, yeah, but this is just the first book. So that's what the rest of the Bible... We accidentally cut it off there. Forgive us for that. But it's a perfect setup for me. I get to finish the story. So as I told you, today's message is called The Promise. And we're going to look at Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob those characters that theologians call, that we call the patriarchs, the fathers of the faith, the beginnings of the faith. And what I want you to see today, what I hope that you take away from today, is first of all, God uses average people with broken backgrounds that are kind of messed up for His plan. Anybody in here qualify? Right on. Secondly, God is a promise keeper. That when God sets a promise in motion, when He speaks something to a people, when He talks to us from the Scripture, when He talks to us even our own personal lives, if it lines up with Scripture and we know it came from God, we can trust His promises. He's a promise maker and He's a promise keeper. And He's always kept His promises. And so I hope when you leave here today, those two things really stick in your head. First of all, that God uses average broken, messed up people to do amazing things through, and that God makes promises and then keeps them. Amen? I love this quote to start out today. This is from D.L. Moody, who was a great preacher in the 1900s. He said this, God never made a promise that was too good to be true. Now listen, if you sell used cars, I'm not slamming on you here. If you're here today and you're a used car salesman, I'm not saying that you lack integrity. So I just want to, that's my preface to where I'm going. But how many of you have ever been to a used car salesman or woman or anybody that tried to sell you something and you just felt like from the beginning you were getting taken for a ride? That they were promising you the sun, the moon, and the stars and all they were able to deliver you was dirt. Anybody ever been there? God's not like that. When God promised Abraham, literally, the sun, the moon, and the stars, he faithfully came through to deliver on his promise. And that's what I hope you see today. So first we're going to look at Abraham, the father of faith and the father of the promise, the one that God gave the promise to. And I, I want to give you a little background on Abraham before we actually get into the scripture. If you have a Bible with you, though, and you want to get a little bit of a jump, uh, take your digital Bible, the fake one, and your real paper Bibles, and turn over to Genesis chapter 12, and just hold your finger there. It'll be on the screen as well, but I think it's good for us to learn to turn in our Bibles to a place with so Genesis chapter 12, 
And let me give you a little background on, um, my dad used to call him Abe Baby. We're going to take a look at Abraham, Abe, okay? Abraham, or Abram, was from Ur. Isn't that a great name? How many of you like to live in Ur? Where do you live? Ur. No, I mean, tell me where you live. Ur. Uh, no, no, not Ur. Uh, Ur? What? Okay, Ur. Great name. Abraham was from Ur. I know that fell really flat. Okay. In modern day, that would be in modern day Iraq. Okay, so Mesopotamia was in Iraq. And uh, which was one of, it was one of the oldest and most advanced cities on earth during his lifetime. When Abraham showed up on the scene, Ur had been there for almost 2,000 years already. So this was an ancient, ancient civilization. His father, Terah, was named after the moon god, and it's highly likely that they worshipped the moon god and many other false deities. Jewish traditions say that Terah was actually an idol merchant who sold false gods. Abraham lived somewhere between 2100 and 1800 B.C. He lived about the same time before Jesus as we do from Jesus until now. So just think about that for a minute. It's been about 2,000 years or so since Jesus of Nazareth, a historical real figure, the Son of God, the Son of Man, lived on planet Earth in the Roman Empire in Judea. And it's been, it was about 2,000 years from the time of Abraham having his encounter with God to the time that Jesus came on the scene. So we're talking 4,000 years of promises here. That's powerful. Abraham's father, Terah, began a journey from Ur to Canaan. He was on his way to Canaan, but he didn't make it. He settled in a place called Haran before ever reaching Canaan. Later, Abraham was called by God to continue, continue the journey to Canaan with a promise that God would give him and his descendants that land. Abraham is considered the father of Judaism, of Christianity, and of Islam. Abraham is the beginning of God's plan to create a people who would work with him to restore his fallen creation. As we will see, Abraham was a pretty average idol worshiper who God revealed himself to and called to begin this great story of restoration. So we're going to look, just today, all we're going to look at is the promises that God made to Abraham, the promises he made to Isaac, and the promises he made to Jacob, and what it means for us, where we live. So let's take a look at Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4, and verse 7. So look at this with me, if you would. Now the Lord said to Abram, this is his first encounter, go from your country and your kindred, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, look at this, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went. As the Lord had told him. Verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Now go to Genesis 13, verses 14 through 17. We're going to read a bit of scripture today. Is that okay? Come to church and read the Bible, right? Okay. 
Genesis 13, 14. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lot was his nephew, um, and Abram let Lot choose the land he wanted, and now Lot is left, and he's chosen the land over by Sodom and Gomorrah, and now God speaks to Abram, and he's, he, after Lot had separated from him, he said, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward, for all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if you can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. Genesis 15, 5 and 6. And he brought him outside. Have you ever had God bring you outside in your life? I, I, I love this because Abram's in his tent. And he's kind of in a discouraged state of his life. And God, to get his attention and to remind him of the promise, brings him outside his tent. Because how many of you know we can get caught up in our own little space and we're looking down all the time. And all we can see are the circumstances in front of us and all that's wrong with our life and all of our pain and our suffering. And it it looks like God's not coming through and he's forgotten us. And Abram was kind of in that place and God says, Abram, go outside and look up. And sometimes we just need to go outside and look up at what God has made and what He's done and let Him speak to us. Am I talking to anybody? And He brought Him outside and He said, look toward heaven and number the stars. Remember, there there was no light pollution. Okay, He's in a part of the world where He's away from cities. He's out in the Middle East. And when He looked up to the heavens, He would have seen stars that we don't even see. Okay, he says, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Of course, he's not. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Key phrase, he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now, one more text, Genesis 17, verses 4 through 8. Notice this. God speaks to Abram and he says, behold, My covenant is with you. And that's an agreement between God and Abraham. My covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. Abram means exalted father. Abraham means father of a multitude. So he's changing his name to match his mission, to match his call. And he says... um, No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. Parents with kids and grandkids that are claiming that they'll come to know the Lord, that is a good text of Scripture to claim right there for your own family. Amen? And then he goes on to say, and I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Now, I want you to notice in these texts, we see God choosing, God blessing, and God promising. And here are some things that God said to him. He said, go to a land I will show you. Any of you ever feel like that when it comes to your call to Moses Lake? (laughs) I remember when we came here, 
The first time we came here, we came here to bring my, my dad was up here and he was doing a conference and it broke out in kind of a, a, a movement of the Holy Spirit and that's how this church began. He came up here to speak at another church in a conference and then a series of events happened and out of that a new church was birthed and in the process of that happening, he was kind of stuck up here without a car. So he, he said, hey, can you bring my car up from California? We were living in Southern California. So my seven-month pregnant wife and I jumped in my dad's car, and we drove it up to Moses Lake from Lancaster, California. And I remember as we'd, we'd never been to this part of Washington State. In fact, I'd never been to Washington State. And I remember we're driving, you know, and you come up through Portland, and then we decided to take the gorge, right? And I'm going through the gorge, and I'm like, wow. You know, everything you ever imagined, Washington and Oregon, green, trees, mountains. I'm looking at volcanoes, and I'm just like, wow, this is majestic. And the place is called Moses Lake. Must be a land of promise. <laughs> Washington, the evergreen state. Oh, I can see it already. In my mind's eye, I imagine it. We drove and we going through the gorge, and you know, you, you hit the Dalles and you're like, wow, the land's starting to change. And you go a little bit further east and all of a sudden you're like, wow, this reminds me of Lancaster, California, which is a high desert. And then we turn north and we're driving up and, you know, we, we go through the Tri-Cities and I'm like, hmm, this is interesting. The desert, again. I've been living in deserts my whole life. Another desert, right? And we, we drive up through Othello, and I remember coming kind of over the crest, and there was Moses Lake coming up to 17. And I just remember saying to Peggy, this is Moses Lake? Does anybody remember that experience besides me? And yet, I just want to say this. This has become a land of promise for us. It's become a land of blessing, and it's become a place that I can say is beautiful to me, amen? So anyway, that was a long story just to illustrate the point that sometimes you got to go where God tells you to go, and you don't know what that land looks like, okay? So I will bless you, he says. Go to the land, I'll show you, and I will bless you, and I'll make your name great. The idea there is a good reputation, a good family name, and I'll make you a great nation. He was blessed to be a blessing to the world. He gives us a pattern for our own lives. Any good thing that God has blessed us with is to be shared with others for their blessing. We're blessed to be a blessing, amen? Secondly, God says, I'll bless, listen to this, I will bless through you all the families and the nations of the earth through your offspring. Now, I want you to think about this. You and I are sitting in a church building, and I'm gonna show you this in a few minutes. We're sitting in a church building 4,000 years after this promise was made to Abraham. 4,000 years. And you and I are the recipients of that blessing. In fact, he said all the families and all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And I can tell you, my family is blessed through Abraham's offspring. And so is yours. Do you know who Abraham's offspring is? Jesus We'll see that in Galatians in just a little bit, Galatians 3. So you and I are the recipients. If, if you've ever wondered, is the Bible true, is the Scripture true, here is a 4,000-year-old prophecy that is coming to pass right here in this room today. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a recipient, recipient of a promise made to a man 4,000 years ago. Somebody say, woo-woo! And then he says, God will give you the land. And he'll make your offspring like the dust of the earth. 
He promised him the land that is now Israel and more. The existence, here's another thing to think of, the existence of the nation state of Israel is again a, an example of God's promise and prophecy coming to pass. I know many people would say, well, it was formed, you know, through the UN and the US and these different things happen and man kind of, but you see, God is sovereign and he uses the governments and the institutions of man to bring about his will on planet earth. And today we have a city state, a nation state called Israel and Israel is the fulfillment of what he said to Abraham 4,000 years ago. I will continue. And then God says, I'll make your offspring like the stars of the heavens and the dust of the earth. God wants a big family. And he wants a big family as numerous as dust and stars. And I think it's also very interesting, if you think about it, that dust is of the earth and the stars are of the heavens. And this is God's way of illustrating to us that his plan has always been to bring the heavens and the earth together so that they may one day marry and all things can be reconciled. Because we know right now there is a veil between the two. There is a barrier that exists between us and God's presence in heaven. And Jesus came to break the barrier down through his death upon the cross and to make of a people uh, make make a people who are people of both the heavens and the earth just saying and then god makes a covenant with abraham and calls him the father of a multitude of nations not just israel but nations that's you and i in fact this room i want to tell you it's really cool if you look around this room there's an ethnic makeup in this room. And, and the scripture, when, when Jesus told us to go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, the Greek word is ethnos, and it's where we get ethnicities. He said, I want you to go into all the world and make disciples from all of the different ethnicities. So you and I today, as we sit here, we are the fulfillment of the nations, the ethnicities coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And then what does it say of Abram? He believed God, and God counted him righteous. He's the father of faith and the friend of God in Scripture. Faith in God pleases him. Faith in the integrity of God and his word gives God great pleasure. When God speaks to us and reveals himself, let us be quick to obey, worship, and believe. That's Abraham's pattern. Look at Isaiah 41.8. Isaiah says, But you, Israel, my servant Jacob... Whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend. How many of you would like to be called a friend of God? Well, you are. Jesus said, I no longer call you servants or slaves, but friends to the disciples. And he's speaking to us as well. Hebrews 11.6 says this in the New Living Translation. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that He rewards those who sincerely seek Him. So do you believe He exists? And do you believe He rewards those who sincerely seek Him? Do you believe that? That's pleasing to God. That gives Him great pleasure. I know this. The goal of my life and the goal of your life ultimately is to bring pleasure to God. Don't you want to do that? Your faith in Him, your simple trust in Him does that. Secondly, we're going to go look at Isaac, his son. Isaac is the son of faith and a type of Jesus. Genesis 26, 2 through 5, and verse 24 says this. If you want to look on in your Bible, Genesis 26, it will also be on the screens. And the Lord appeared to him, this is Isaac, and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. 
sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring, I will give all these lands. He's reiterating the promises. And I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. Notice what he says here. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all of these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. And there's a great insight there. Your obedience to God will affect your children and your grandchildren. It's so important that when God speaks, when God moves, we respond to Him. Amen? Isaac was the promised son of Abraham. His name, Isaac, means laughter. He was this one, Abraham said, I'm going to give you a son. And through that son, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And Abraham and and Sarah, they got ahead of God and they did some things on their own. But ultimately, God still came through and fulfilled his promise. And so Isaac was the fulfillment of everything that Abraham had asked God to do and God had promised he would do. And he was called the, called the, the, the laughter child, the joy child. That name Isaac means laughter, right? And then one day God says, Abram, Abraham, I want you to go and offer your son up to me as a sacrifice. And Abraham's like, well, I know God's not into human sacrifice, and something's really wrong here, but okay, I'm going to be obedient. You obviously have something in mind, and we know the rest of the story is right as Abraham was about to offer up Isaac. By the way, in Hebrew culture, they consider Isaac's faith to be as great as Abraham's. Because Isaac would have been of age. He would have been, scholars have different um, ideas. I think it says how old he is. It says 13 or, anyway, uh, he's around 13 years old and his father takes him to go be offered up and he willingly lays himself on the altar. He doesn't fight it and he submits to it. And then right as Abraham's about to sacrifice his own son, because God told him to, but that's kind of weird because that doesn't seem like God's nature. God intervenes and provides a ram in the thicket, and that ram becomes the sacrifice, the substitution on behalf of his son Isaac. But so, so anyway, Isaac was the promised son of Abraham. He was the son that Abraham and Sarah had to wait so long for. He had, he had to be willing to be sacrificed. He was a type of Jesus. The father gave the son. He and his father both had to go through many tests of their faith in order to be prepared for their place in God's story. Through his offspring... All the nations of the earth will be blessed. God chose him and prepared him to continue his promise. And that takes us to Jacob. You still with me? We're going to look at the grandson of faith and God's Israel. Genesis 28, verse 13. And behold, the Lord stood above it. Now, this is the story where Jacob is out in the wilderness. He's running from his brother Esau because he just ripped him off. And he's running from Esau, and he stops in the middle of the wilderness, and he lays down to to sleep. He takes a stone, and he puts it down on the ground under his head as a pillow, and he falls asleep. And in the midst of sleeping, he has a vision. And in this vision, he sees a staircase or a, a ladder opened up into heaven, and at the top of the ladder is God. God's at the top of the ladder, and he sees angels going up and down. And we learn later in John chapter 1 at the end of the chapter that Jesus is that ladder. Isn't that interesting? But that's, that's for another day. Jesus is all through the Bible, okay? So here we go. You still with me? Okay. Uh, so 
so uh, behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring, notice, shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I'm with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I've done what I promised you. Genesis 35, 10 through 12. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. And the land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. So what we see is God once again giving the promise to the son and the grandson to remind them that I'm up to something and your family is key to that something. And now you might say, why is that important to us? Well, it's important to us because we are the recipients of the promise. I want to take you through a few thoughts as we end here today of what this promise means to you and I. What does this promise mean to the average Joe or Josephine sitting out here today? What's the promise mean to you and your family? First of all, God chooses and saves, rescues average people for His great story. There's nothing, as I said earlier, that indicates that Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob were special in any way. They weren't great warriors, although God did use Abram in a, in a battle, and uh, they weren't particularly um, you know, great uh, religious men, though they became the father of the faith. Abraham was an average idol worshiper who God chose to know him and make him known. God still chooses average people for his great purposes. He chose me. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. If I can stand up here and talk to you about God, he can work with anybody. And somebody said, amen. That's because they know me probably, right? See, you you don't know my story, but, you know, I've shared it here many times, I come from a really broken home. My, my dad was a drug addict and a convict and a teenager. My mom was 14 years old when she got pregnant with me. And out of that union at 15, I was born. And my dad was off doing crazy, crazy stuff. My mom finally left him, and I was separated from him when I was five years old. And I didn't know if he was alive or dead the whole time I was being raised. And I was raised by a stepfather who was, I, he, was a, he did his, the best he knew how to do, but he was a good American heathen. He didn't have any religion. He didn't believe in God. He was an agnostic. And not only was he an agnostic, but he was a heavy drinker. And he was an angry man. And he was harsh. And he did the best he knew how to do, but he kind of messed me up. Kind of messed us up, you know, because he was just kind of carrying on his own brokenness. And so I got into my own brokenness. And by the time I was 16, I had a drug overdose. And then I got into all kinds of other really bad things and did a lot of things I'm ashamed of to this day. At 19 years old, I had a dramatic encounter with Jesus Christ. And he met me and changed my life and turned me around and began to work in my heart. And he saved me. He rescued me from death and from hell. And he gave me a new beginning. And he gave me a hope. And I remember being a young man coming out of that brokenness, not knowing love from a father 
father, not, not really understanding that security that comes from that kind of a background, growing up in all of that, that brokenness from generation to generation. I remember as God began to make himself real to me, and I had a sense of a call of God on my life, and then I remember God would bring prophetic um, people to our churches that we were in, people that uh, had a gift of prophecy, and on a number of occasions they would call me out and they'd give me words, and several of them said things like, you're going to pastor a church, and the Lord's hands on you to preach the gospel, and you're going to be used, you're going to go to the nations, and you're going to preach the gospel, and I remember thinking as a 19 or 20 year old young man, you're crazy, I'm going to make a lot of money in real estate, you don't know what you're talking about. I have plans. I love what Ken shared, you know, uh, uh, during the um, offering time, you know. You want to make God laugh? Tell him your plans. I told him my plans, and I know he was laughing hilariously. But I remember as that call began to kind of dawn on me, and I started recognizing I'm called to prepare to preach and, and pastor and lead, and I began to give my life toward that. And then through a series of really strange events, I ended up in Moses Lake, Washington. And I have to tell you something. It didn't look very promising at first. When I first came here, I mean, this was a messy little church with all kinds of problems. And I didn't want to be here. And I remember begging God for years, deliver me from Moses Lake. Deliver me from Grace Harvest Church. Lord, I don't want to be here. This is not what I believe I was prepared for. I would share that with him. And yet he took this land, and out of it he made a promise. Amen? Now, I share that with you because some of you are sitting here today, and you're unsure about your life, and you feel like you don't have much to bring to the table, and you don't have much to offer, and you probably feel like you're not very equipped or very educated, or you, you know, maybe your past is still, you're, you're eating the fruit of a, of a harvest that you sowed, and you sowed corruption, and now you're just getting decay and death, and you feel like, there's no hope for my future. I've screwed it up. My decisions have messed it up. Things done to me have messed it up. I don't, I don't have a hope for a future. What I want to say to you and what I want to encourage you with is God can begin a new planting in your life, a new sowing, and you have a harvest yet to come. You can't even begin to imagine because God can do miracles with you, even if you're a broken, messed up, dysfunctional, average Joe. Amen. Secondly, when God makes a promise in Scripture, we can trust Him to bring it to pass. Think about it. Somewhere around 4,000 years ago, God promised Abraham that He would bless all the families and the nations of the earth through His offspring. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of that, and those of us who trust Him are the fruit of that promise. I, I'm still amazed when I think about this. You know, this is one of the greatest evidences to the gospel, one of the greatest evidences to the faith, the idea that God made a promise that Moses wrote down eventually after it had been shared verbally, right, um, oral tradition for a number of centuries, and Moses wrote it down, and that, what Moses wrote down, Jesus inherited as a boy and began to learn about. And then Jesus ended up being the fulfillment of that seed. And then all of those who put faith in Jesus from that moment into the present are the fulfillment of that promise. I mean, that's profound. It gives me such confidence in the goodness of God. I love this because God's a promise keeper. I love this story by Mark Mooring. He says this, it was late and my young sons, Peter and Paul, had been in bed for at least an hour. My wife and I had just returned from our Bible study group 
And I snuck into the boy's room to say goodnight. Dad, can I have some ice cream? No, Peter, it's late. It's way past bedtime. But Dad, you promised. He was right. Peter had asked for ice cream earlier in the day, but we didn't have any. And I'd said, I'll get some for you later. I promise. Dinner came and went. We cleaned up the kitchen. The boys picked up their toys. The sitter arrived, and my wife and I left for our Bible study. I'd forgotten all about the ice cream, but Peter hadn't. By the way, I just want to say this is kind of funny. My son Josiah is here today, and I'm going to use him for a quick sermon illustration. Nothing embarrassing, son. But Josiah was one of these guys that if you said anything that even vaguely sounded like a promise, and you said it two months ago, he would remind you. He'd tell Peggy, you said maybe. Maybe was a yes in his mind, right? He's a glass is half full kind of guy, right? It's just hilarious when I read this story. This would have been Josiah. You promised. So the sitter arrived. My wife and I left. We forgot about the ice cream, but Peter hadn't. So even though it was after 10 o'clock in the evening, I hopped in the car, drove to the convenience store, got a half gallon of ice cream, and hurried home. Peter and I enjoyed that chocolate vanilla swirl together. After all, I had a promise to keep. Why is this important? Because we live in a generation of promise breakers. We live in a time when we break covenant all the time. You think about it. And listen, if any of you in this room have been through a divorce, I'm not trying to condemn you or put you down with saying this. I just want to bring out a point. We live in a time where we stand at altars in front of pastors and leaders And we make vows and pledges to be faithful to the person and to stay with them through sickness and health and everything else. And then when it gets tough and when there's sickness or bad health or when we go through financial difficulties or when we lose the spark, we find reasons to get out and to break our covenants. And then we grow up making promises to our children, or we're the children who have promises made to us. And and then those are broken, and people lie to us, and the media lies to us, and our politicians lie to us. And we live in a society that's filled with constant lying. In fact, we're even taught that some lying is okay and good, and we should practice at it and get good at it, and we train ourselves to be liars. And then we wonder why, when God makes Himself real to us, And he begins to speak to us. We have a hard time trusting him. Because we've been raised and we've lived in a culture of liars. And it's just as bad in the church as it is in the culture. We make habits of lying. And yet God is a truth teller and a promise keeper. If he makes a promise, he keeps it. He says of himself in the scripture, I am not a man that I should lie. And he said when he had no one else to swear by, he swore by himself. Now that's a promise. And by the way, if you've done any of the things I said, because we've all messed up, that's the beauty of the gospel. God is the God of the second chance. He's the God of forgiveness. He's the God who can take your messes and make a message out of them. He can take your screw-ups and make something beautiful come out of it. Let me tell you, God is good, and he can turn it around. So if you felt a little bit condemned there, or you're like, whoa, what's that all about? You know, I just want to encourage you, start being good with your promises now. 